0: Welcome to WEHC 90.7. And you just tuned in to She Walks with Sharon Bowers and Carly Blaylock. And we are so glad that you joined us today. We've been talking about all kinds of things, and we thought for just a few minutes it would be really good for us to ground our show so the listener can know the why all the time you sometimes we talk about the who the what the where the when the how but we don't really ever get to the why so we thought it might be good for us to talk a little bit about the why and especially to let you know why we do this show and why we do it from an intersectional feminist lens Carly how are you today I'm doing well yeah (laughs) I'm definitely
1: looking forward to our show today Um, I think it's so important for us to go back to our roots figure out you know why
0: we're doing what we're doing. Why do we do this show? And so it's great for us to go back to that. Well, I think I can share why I think we do it. And then you share too, because probably we're probably doing it for some of the same reasons, but not all the same reasons, because we've been doing it for what seems like a very long time. But I can remember when we both worked in DEIB. And uh, one of the things that we did during Women's History Month is that we did an activity and my dissertation work is on Soldier to Truth and all about intersectionality and primarily about her being the foremother, if you will, of intersectionality, even though it didn't have that name. And so we we had that event in the park where we actually did a walk and talked about intersectional feminism. And I think after that, we just wanted to continue the conversation. And one of the things that's real important to me that's attributed to of Truth is when she got ready to be free, quote unquote, from the period of enslavement. She'd ask her owner to free her. And the owner had said, yeah, they would. And they said they would. And she worked really hard and she got injured. And then the owner, as usual, always moving the benchmarks of the oppressor, oppressor moved the benchmark and said she didn't do enough. Sh- what do you call that? Knitting yarn. Can't think of it. Just lost it. But anyway, she didn't produce enough of the stuff that comes from sheep. What's that called, Carly? Wool. Wool. <laughs> I couldn't think of it, but but she didn't bring in enough wool, so he wasn't going to let her go. And so I really like what she did. She thinks about it. She spends a little more time. She works really hard. Nothing really changes. And one day, she just decides that she's going to walk to her freedom. And so they ask her about her escape, and she said, I didn't escape. She said, I walked. And that was kind of real important for She Walks, because there are things in women's lives that we just need to walk away from or to walk to. And we don't need permission from anybody to tell us to do that. And especially from an intersectional lens. So that's kind of the She Walks name. That's my version. Carly, can you add to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that one, that event
1: was very powerful. And I think that was definitely sort of the beginning of this conversation. For me, this space has become a a very educational one for me, um, because we're very honest in, in this space that we're not experts, right? We are learning and we're reading and educating ourselves alongside, you know, bringing some of these articles and some of these things to our audience. So um, for me, it's very much an educational space, um, and I've learned so much in doing this show. And to me, the whole She Walks message, too, is it's all about putting one foot in front of the other. Like, you don't have to make it all in one day, you don't have to make the leap all in one day. It's about taking those small steps on the road to freedom and whatever that looks like for you. And I think that's a really powerful thing, especially for a lot of women who find themselves in situations that they may not be able to walk away from today or tomorrow or a week from now. But they can start making those steps
0: in the right direction towards their freedom, which I think is really powerful. I I do as well. And I think that that incremental change or just to make a decision for change, because on this show, we talk about change a lot. We talk about various people's change models. And we actually believe that we're probably making one of our own right now, that one day you might hear a a Blaylock Bowers change model or Bowers Blaylock or the BB change model. So we actually talk about all these kinds of things, because I do think that it is important. so we wanted to kind of go back and talk a little bit about intersectional feminism. And then even maybe next week, talk a little bit more about critical race feminism so that we can kind of just ground where we are. So when we talk about all the subjects that we talk about that are relevant to women, they're all filtered through or the grounding, if you will, for those conversations is based on intersectional feminism. Absolutely. So I've got a definition. You've got a definition. Want to go first, Carly? I've been talking a lot. I'm excited today. So I've been talking a lot. Sure. So Kimberly
1: Crenshaw is obviously the woman who is referenced in this article that I'm going to be reading from today, which is called Intersectionality, Why It Is Important and Its Value on the Feminist Movement. And it defines intersectionality through her lens as the interconnected nature of social categorizations such as race, class and gender as they apply to a given individual or group regarded as creating overlapping and interdependent systems of discrimination and disadvantage.
0: We won't take a lot of time because we don't have a lot of time and we always run out of time. But part of my dissertation work is to kind of, I don't want to have an intersectional war about who coined the terms and all those things. Kimberly Crenshaw did coin the term. But I I think that the existence of the principles that uh, make up or the constituency of intersectionality can be attributed far earlier than um, Kelly Kimberly Crenshaw, especially I say to Soldier of Truth, Julia Anna Julia Cooper, all of those early race women who really fought and understood that there was something different about being black and being a woman that was, nobody else was experiencing that. So not to take away from Crenshaw because uh, she's powerful and she's gotten us to where we have this conversation now, but there are some groundings or some tenets that come way before that. And we just want to incorporate that. The Combahee River Collective, the group of LGBT black women who pulled away and said, hey, we got to come together and we got to look at our situation. That's Mm -hmm. pre-her. You know, there's just a lot of people that are pre-her. And so, but, but it's okay to start, with Crenshaw because that's where everybody starts and I'm just trying to say we want to (laughs) start earlier and and add to that but yeah I've got a definition for intersectional feminism and I think it's a human rights career or somewhere I got it off the web but I thought it was a real good one it says that intersectional feminism is a type of feminism focused on the fact that systems of oppression Impact people differently based on their race, their class, ability, sexuality, or other characteristics. And it, it kind of makes a distinction between intersectional feminism and mainstream feminists because it says that mainstream feminism may focus only or primarily on gender or sex, where intersectional feminism understands that oppression is a series of it, it's part of an interlocking system. Mm-hmm. And so I think that. That it's important for us to look at that because there are so many things that happen to women that don't happen to other people. And then especially from the perspective of black and brown women or uh, LGBT women or trans women, you know, all there are so many things that the privileged and the powerful can lay on those that are not privileged and those that are not considered powerful.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So um, another, I guess, word for that mainstream feminism, right, is white feminism. And I'm sure people have heard about that. We've actually talked about that previously on this show as well. And basically, when people talk about white feminism, they're talking about the opposite of intersectional feminism, because white feminism focuses primarily on the issues that white women face um, being women, right? Because white women do face oppression through gender, right? but they are the most privileged class of woman. So that, you know, there's that kind of barrier there. And it's not an intersectional way of thinking about feminism. There also, when we are talking about like the suffrage movement and things like that, you know, white women worked really hard for their rights, right. But black women, women of color, obviously any LGBT women were pushed aside in that movement. So, you know, again, it's, and
0: for the white woman <laughs> and even when they necessarily you know from a suffrage perspective because you had soldier of truth there mm-hmm. as an abolitionist and there is such a thing as abolition feminism we'll talk about that one time too because it's pretty powerful angela davis and some other sisters that got together and talked about how important it is to have freedom and we kind of talk about that too carly and i Ooh. we talk about that from the perspective of she walks i mean it's impossible to not talk about freedom and Talk about feminism because of patriarchy and all the other systems that that are are, are oppression. But yeah, again, we won't go to all this. But even historically, and and that's why if you all want to talk about some of this, just give us a a shout out and let us know because we'd be we'd love to talk about it because we can't talk about all of it in our thirty minute show. But I think when we start looking at the various waves of feminism that that the research kind of suggests, and then when we look at white feminism and we look at black feminism. Uh, And then now, and I think that's why Carly and I, I don't speak for me, but why I think it's important for us to do the intersectional feminism, because it kind of takes away from that whole race thing, and yet race is a part of it. So we don't have to talk about white feminism and black feminism because we know that there was a a big difference. And we know, as you said earlier, the privilege perspective that white women are able to uh, live from their location versus the non-privileged location of a black woman or a brown woman. And so I think it's just important that we kind of talk about how these systems overlap one another. When we start looking at race, class, gender, ability, all of those things, they're all so very different. But from an intersectional perspective, and this was kind of Crenshaw and her critical race feminism and, and looking at it from a legal perspective. She was really looking at black women, yeah. And because intersectionality has become a traveling theory, we use it everywhere now to explain many phenomena. But originally, that's what it was about. It was about this is le- how the legal system affects black women. And she made that analogy of being like at an intersection, a traffic intersection, and all these things are coming in at one time. Mm-hmm. And those things only come in like that for black and brown women.
1: Yeah, they don't.
0: And when we talk about race. We talk about, you know, gender, sex, we talk about all those things. They're they're not the same for a white woman as it is for a black or brown woman.
1: Absolutely. And I think a good example of that is also through the um LGBT lens, right? So if you are a white person who is gay, right, you're not experiencing the same level of discrimination and oppression as a black person who is gay, right? Right. And, you know, again, adding that that woman piece on top, right? If you are a black lesbian you know you're going to face a much different road than a white lesbian is going to. And so again, when we talk about those in, those intersectional pieces, it's from everywhere. And the thing one of the things that this article says is when we engage in a feminism that is focused on that mainstream sort of feminist lens, not only does it ignore the lived experiences of women who have been historically oppressed, right? But it also actively works to perpetuate harm against women of color, transgender women and women in the LGBTQ plus community. So not just ignoring their needs, but actively harming their needs. Right. By taking that attention and that focus away from what their needs are.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's soldier of Truth. The, one of the works that's been attributed to her and it's much debated now. Uh, but we still go back to it, even though we, we like to believe that it was hers or it was somebody's sentiment at the time uh, where, you know, she makes the statement, ain't I woman? Mm -hmm. And she makes it very clear that there is a distinction between a black woman and a white woman, a white, a a white free woman and a black enslaved woman. Mm -hmm. And she makes that very clear, you know, uh, when she's at one of the suffrages meetings, when she says at one of the conventions, I think in Ohio or somewhere like that, where she really makes that claim or it's attributed that she makes that claim there where she's trying to get the audience to see something is different. And she mentions all or some of the privileges that white women have that she doesn't have as a black woman.
1: Yeah.
0: And I mean, that was, you know, we're talking back in the 1860s, we're talking way back then, and we're still, none of that has changed. So all of the, the movements of, of uh, feminism, None of those have gotten us where we are. And then, and when you mentioned about the, 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 the black, the gay black woman or the gay black lesbian, I mean, that was all about the Combahee Collective. Almost everybody who was a part of that was considered themselves a gay black lesbian, mm-hmm. and they came together to say, "Hey, look how we're being treated, or are how we're not being treated." And so, I think this has been around a long time. And so, when we try to ground some of these things that are happening to all women from an intersectional feminist perspective. I think it's real important that we do that because it kind of says, you know, I guess uh, there was an old time, there used to be a Virginia Slim cigarette. I know it's not good to talk about smoking, but a Virginia uh, Slim cigarette commercial. And it used to be, Carly, this was before you were born. <laughs> and, and it said, you've come a long way, baby, to get to where you got today you've got your we're you've got your own generation uh, something like that but what it was really saying and it was a woman sitting there with her legs crossed smoking publicly and so they were just saying look how far you've come and so sometimes i think we get stuck into looking where we've come from and mm-hmm. maybe even looking at where we are but not looking at where we should be or want to be or need to be yeah no i completely agree and
1: i think it is easy to fall into that trap. And I think that's where that mainstream or white feminism sort of falls into that trap sometimes of like, oh, but look how far we've come, right? Mm -hmm. Things are so much better than they were without seeing the needs that we currently have that are still to this day, not being met. And I think just like um, when we've talked about racism being very insidious in the past and that overt racism versus insidious racism and Mm -hmm. those sorts of things, it's the same with feminism, right? When we think about the oppression that women face, it has in a lot of ways become more insidious, but we can even talk about things like we've talked about the beauty standard on this show and how the beauty standard is extremely racist. And that is still oppression that women of color face every single day. And you know, just because when you look at it, it's harder to see doesn't mean that it's not there. Yeah. And I think when looking at the future, this article says, um, the last line of this article, which I think is amazing says it is necessary and crucial that indigenous black and women of color as well as other women um other marginalized women are at the front of this movement so that their voices can be heard their rights can be fought for and their needs can be met which i 100% agree oh
0: yes 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 and 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 i think you know and i don't have any statistics to support this but i would i would go out on the limb and say this and maybe someone in our audience can challenge me on it but I really believe that everything, the reason why intersectional feminism is so important is because we've got to find the place and the space for women uh, because women are everywhere women are a part of everywhere and we're not going anywhere and we're going to be here. And if there's going to be a future, we're going to be here. You know, I mean, it's, it's kind of, and I know we have other ways now to have children. I'm not, not like it used to be when the only way you had was the specific woman. We have other ways to do that now with, with, uh, uh, with all kinds of um, medical kinds of miracles and things, but you know, we're not going anywhere. And so to keep uh, oppressing women, is is a real big problem and then I think also if you oppress women here in the free world quote unquote in the United States in the first world quote unquote I hate all those descriptions and we don't really use them anymore but I'm just trying to get people to see if we're oppressed then what about development in other countries
1: yeah
0: you know what about other places I mean it's just not gonna happen I know
1: I know, and we we talk about, um, and we've talked about this before recently, I think, um, you know, intersectional is definitely focused on the gender and race um, pieces in particular, but we also talk about, you know, poor women, women in the LGBT community, and then also women through um, the disability lens and the accessibility lens, right? And neurodivergent women. And I mean, just there are so many intersections and in every community, it's women who are the most oppressed members of those communities um, and yes. particularly women of color. So again, it's it's like, it's those layers and it's every
0: community and it's every single time. I was reading an article. I think the woman's name is Corinne Shutek. Corinne Schutek, that might not be spelled right. Anyway, so she wrote an article and it was entitled Patriarchy, White Feminism and Intersectional Feminism. And she said this, I wanted to share this with you. She quoted one of Maya Angelou's quotes and all those, but she said this and this is attributed to her. And I thought it was so telling of what we try to talk about. She said, patriarchy tells all women what they should think, do or feel. I'm gonna say that again. Patriarchy tells all women what they should think, do, or feel. White feminism tells women of color what they should think, do, or feel. White feminism tells women of color what they should think, do, or feel. And so she says intersectional feminism does not presume the authority to tell someone else what to do, to think, do, or feel, particularly someone else with a different experience in the world. is that that powerful that is so powerful
1: yeah i think um this article that i'm reading from you know highlights that as well that it is all about the person's lived experience and intersectionality honors those things traditional white feminism does not honor that at all exactly patriarchy doesn't either um but it's all about that lived experience that people have and intersectionality makes room for that and honors that. And again, like you said, would never even think of telling someone else how to live or think or feel.
0: Yeah. I think it's, uh, you know, when you're continuing this uh, this uh, defining, and, and again, I said, I didn't want to get into intersectional wars, but Patricia Hill Collins has a, has a, she, her, her perspective of intersectionality is based on Uh, a matrix of domination and so it's it's the same thing just said a little different and actually she's saying it in the 80s just like Crenshaw is so they're saying it at the same time and saying it different but one of the things that she has really been able to bring is you know uh, to help to continue the discussion about location Mm. and how important that really is I mean location is critical and the epistemological lens that we use and so when you start talking about women of color black women in particular you you start talking about that lens is never used to define anything it's almost like it just exists but it doesn't exist in helping to shape and define a world so when we start talking about women you know when we mention women really that what we're really talking about is white women because it doesn't take into consideration other women and their location and their lived experience so you know her work uh her epistemological work from an intersectional perspective has been profound in helping to shape and to to let people see how important it is to think about location when you think about this and so when I read this article and and I thought does patriarchy does patriarchy really tell women what they should think do or feel I mean how do you respond to that Carly just that
1: well, it 100% does. <laughs> um, yes. And, you know, just looking at some of the discussions that have been happening in the news and in the world about, you know, women's reproductive rights and, you know, you're not allowed to feel certain ways or want certain things. I mean, it, it's very much still prevalent. And again, I think the more that we kind of progress, if we can even call it that, in our language and our understanding of these ideas the language we use might be different and it might kind of go underground a little bit, but it's still very much there. And um, and I don't know, we've talked a lot on this show about, you know, what do we do (laughs) about that? Because I don't know, because every time that we think we maybe are moving in the right direction, we sort of see that it's not really movement, it's more just covert now and it's going underground now, but it's still there.
0: Yeah, I, I think there, and I know change is difficult, change is hard, it, but it, it's, it's, it's evolutionary. It's going to happen. It's not going to not happen. No one who is oppressed is going to stay oppressed and say that they like it. So there will always be people who are trying to get out from under these systems that are interlocking and overlocking that continue to oppress you. Nobody's going to say, if this is as good as it gets, I'm just going to be happy and love it. It it never worked. When we look through history, through history, it has never worked. People have always wanted autonomy. People have always wanted to be free. People have always wanted to be respected and honored and cherished for who they are and what they bring to the table. So I really feel, you know, this head and heart connection. And that's because. You know, I I really am clergy. And so I really do have a faith that I think that, that helps to shape me. But I really do believe that there's that that head and that heart, that necessary connection. And until we are able to create systems that, I mean, because some of this stuff that's done, Carly, people know it's wrong. I, I really firmly believe. <laughs>
1: yes, no, 100%. And um, a quote that I, again, have no idea where I saw this or who said it, but it stuck with me was, I don't know how I, sh- I don't know how I'm supposed to convince you to care about other people. Right. Mm. And again, I feel like that's the conversation that we're having because mm-hmm. we come with statistics, we come with facts, we come with history and history and all of these mm. stories and lived experiences. And what does it amount to if the person hearing it just really doesn't care or has a vested interest in protecting their own power or their own, whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, And that's really kind of where we are. And so it doesn't matter what we what what the facts we have are if the person that we're telling them to lacks that empathy and that compassion.
0: And I think, again, we've talked about on this show, it all comes back to that, right? And ownership. And and I won't be crass and say what I'm thinking on there, but even reproductive rights, you know, um, and who does it affect the most? I mean, you're talking black and brown women, but and and we're the ones who are having to say, hold on, wait a minute. You're trying to tell us what to do with our bodies. But more importantly, you're trying to determine whether or not we have the right to reproduce if we want to and how we will go about doing it. And so it's ownership. And so even the ownership of our bodies, and I'll leave it at that you know, is part of that that kind of male dominant way of thinking what you can do with your body. And it was even legal for so long what a woman could do or could not do with with her body. And so here we are now, you know, years later, after all of that, uh, we've been uh, we're just continuing to be more marginalized and disenfranchised than we ever were. So Mm -hmm. you can change laws. You can change laws but you cannot change people. And people are the ones who have the power. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, but I, I thought it was interesting. And this is the uh, Korean shoe talk was a, she identifies, I believe as a white woman. So I thought it was really important that she, she, she made that comment about white feminism tells women of color, what they should do or think or feel that was really hurtful. Carly. When I read that I, I was, it was a little, it was like a, I mean, I could get with a patriarchy, but when I got to, you know, a woman telling another woman what to do based on the color of their skin, that was a heart, that was a broken place for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, there's a sentiment, I think, among feminists that, you know, what is it a tide a, a high tide lifts all ships or something like that where it's like oh what's good for one of us is good for all of us mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's a very narrow privileged perspective to have
0: mm-hmm. um
1: and you know we have to stop looking at feminism that way and the yeah. goals that we have um and there's the this last section of this article is called a word for white women which i think is fantastic um but basically says you know we have to do the work of educating ourselves and ensuring that the people around us also approach this work that way um and then taking making sure we are stepping back and taking a back seat in this work and centering the voices of um BIPOC women of women from the LGBT community you know we need to let those women lead us Um, and of course the last thing it says is if your feminism is not intersectional, it is not feminism, which I highly agree with. That's a strong
0: statement, but I definitely believe it. Um, and and I think it's, it's such an important thing to have in your, I I think so too. And, 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 and I'm saddened when I look around and I look at, you look at your workspace, you look at places and you can see where white women benefit so much more and black women and then there's that whole piece about being intimidated around black women especially black women like me mm-hmm. uh whatever that is but it's my location it's who i am but 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 they benefit they're the boss they have the job they have the title they have all of those things and then they will come to the table and will continue to oppress other people and that blows me away and and I say that all the time I say it I know we got to go but I say that in my church that is now splintering over the LGBTQ plus and I'm like how dare a black woman be anti-gay how dare you well under what where you have the audacity yeah. to do that after being the object of oppression forever and you want to go and further oppress someone else I am blown away and so that that comment what was that comment you made again about intersectional feminism because I think that's how we can end that last comment you just said if you're not if your feminism is not intersectional it is not feminism Yeah, I think that's a good way to end because i if not, I'm going to be on my soapbox again talking about it because you do. You have so many people that say I'm a feminist and then ideological and people try to define that. And it's so crazy because the people who are trying to define it don't have the lived experience. Sometimes it's white men who are claiming to be feminists. And most often it is white women who are claiming that they're feminists, but they're not intersectional feminists. So they really don't get it. Yeah, no,
1: absolutely. And I think <laughs> I think when somebody says like, oh, I'm a feminist, I think all of us that are intersectional feminists are like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> you
0: <know? laughs> Could um, you explain yourself? And yeah. then when, when it's done from an ideological perspective, that still doesn't cut it because you can know all the history and herstory about feminism and all that kind of stuff. But if it's not your lived experience, you're just a talking head. Yeah, absolutely. you're just a talking head. Absolutely.
1: Well, (laughs) we covered a lot today. (laughs) Um, You know, I think it's good for us to do these every so often because I think it's important for us as, you know, the hosts of the show, but also, you know, as a community here to kind of get back down to what are we doing this show for? What do we mean? Why did we name our show She Walks, right? Um, why are do we call ourselves intersectional feminists and not just feminists? I think that's really, really important. And I'm so excited for next week because you're going to be doing a lot of the educating next week when we talk about <laughs> critical race feminism, which is also incredible. And I'm really excited for us to have that conversation. And, you know, as we said in our last show, we are looking to have guests on to talk more in depth about this, um, these topics. So look out for that in the next couple of weeks as well. Um, We're just so happy that you all joined us and we are looking forward to seeing you next week. All right. Take care, everybody.